So just to make sure you guys continue to stay awake and pay attention, we're going to switch up the order of things this morning, and we're going to start with the Scripture. And it comes to us this morning from the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Hear these words. Now therefore, revere the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is God's word for God's people. So as you know, we're doing a sermon series on the All I Want for Christmas, which is the book by Dr. Jim Moore that many of our small groups are studying. And when I pulled it out to prepare for this sermon, I looked at the scripture and said, Joshua, that's not very Christmassy. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about Joseph a couple weeks ago, and then we talked about Mary last week, and I was like, all right, let's see uh, what we have in store for today. But you know, this scripture that we have of Joshua, he is calling together all of the people of Israel uh, for kind of the last time before his passing. And they are at a point that they had prayed for for years. They had reached the promised land. God had sustained them through their wanderings. God had delivered them from Egypt as a people. And, and they had reached this, this promised land. But the issue that they ran into was that they weren't living there alone. There were Canaanites and Amorites, and among these people, there were many different gods. And they were attractive gods to some of the Israelites who began to worship them um, either in place of or addition to their god. And so Joshua has called them together to remind them in chapter, uh, verses 1 through 13 of all that God had done for them, all the ways that God had been faithful to them and then tells them, you know, you can worship all these other gods or you can worship the one true God. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so it's all about choices. It's all about commitments and priorities. And so I realized as we enter Advent, we have that same dilemma of being faced with choices and making priorities. Uh, do we, you know, go into debt to have a big Christmas and make sure everybody gets what they need and everything looks like the Hallmark Christmas movie? Or, or do we choose to, you know, keep things simple and live within our means? That's a choice that we have to make. Do we fill our calendar accepting every invitation, making sure that we do all the activities? Or are we intentional about carving in time for family, time for God? time for service to others? Is our focus simply on the material things that we're giving and getting, or are we spending time preparing our heart for this truly wondrous gift of Emmanuel, God with us? So even all those years ago, as the Israelites were faced with these choices, having to create priorities, we are still faced with these choices. And we may not have to choose between our God and literal gods, like their gods that, you know, they felt 
or controlling the weather or the crops or fertility. Our gods are more conceptual, right? It's money. It's power. It's politics, ambition, popularity. Those are the things that can turn our attention from serving our one true God. Joshua makes his choice. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And in a plain text reading of this, it may seem that Joshua is truly giving them the option, right? You can do this and worship these gods, or you can worship the Lord. If we just read it in a plain text way, it may seem like he's truly saying, here are your options. But there's really a little bit of exasperation, and I think even sarcasm in Joshua's presentation to them, because he just spent all this time telling them about all the ways that the Lord had served them faithfully. So it's kind of like he's saying, you have your God, and then you have all these lesser options. Like, why would you choose this? This is what we choose. It reminds me of like when we've given somebody advice or we've told them what they should do. Oftentimes it's a child. We're like, you know, you should really put on a jacket. It's a little cold outside. And maybe they ignore us and ignore us and ignore us. And then we're just left to say, all right, go ahead and let the natural consequences play themselves out. I'm a big fan of natural consequences. <laughs> so that's uh, sort of where Joshua is. He's saying, you can do this. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> you can do this. Or you can serve this Lord that has been faithful to you. So uh, Dr. Jim Morris, he goes through the foundation uh, that we can choose, gives us, as you might have guessed, three examples <laughs> of how we can make God our foundation rather than lesser gods. Uh, concepts, material, worldly things, how we keep the focus on God. And the first one is family. And it's really funny to me that the first one is family because sometimes family is the thing that can cause us stress during the holidays. Uh, but family can be our foundation. And it was obviously important for Joshua because he mentions for me and my household, or for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. When he could have just said, I choose to serve the Lord. But there's a huge emphasis on family in Joshua, um, in the Ten Commandments, in the Old Testament. A lot of what we learn about who we are as God's people comes through narratives of family. Abraham and Moses Joseph and Isaac, a lot of what we learn about who we are and the choices that we are to make, we learn through these family narratives. And the importance of family shows up in the Christmas story. As in Matthew and Luke, we get lineage, genealogy of Jesus focusing on family. And the story where we talked about last week where Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth so they can celebrate this joy together, family. And the term family is pretty broad, 
right? It can be a lot of different things. For many of us, family, our family of origin is our touchstone. It's that safe place, that home where we know that no matter what, we can go to and we will be loved and we can be accepted. And there are many of us for whom family is where we learned and saw the unconditional love of God being modeled in our lives. Unfortunately, that's not true for everyone. Family of origin isn't that place. But yet, we can create families. We can create families through friends, through loved ones. And those families that are formed through friendship and bonds that have nothing to do with blood can often be just as powerful and lasting. And they are true family. And then, of course, there's our church family. And church is the second thing that Dr. Moore tells us should be part of our foundation for our Christian life. For the Israelites, Joshua was saying, as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. But he wasn't just leaving at that. He was also issuing a challenge to them to serve the Lord. He was inviting them to be a part of a community of believers that could encourage one another, support one another, and even hold one another accountable for this choice that they have made to put God first in their lives. And the same is true for us. Because in these days of me, myself, and I that Mike talked about a little bit last week, it's really easy to say, I can do this Christian thing on my own. I can read the Bible on my own, and I can come to worship, come and go, and I don't need others around me to do that. I can serve others on my own. And while that's true, the Bible tells us that community is an essential part of the practice of the Christian faith. It's not an optional part of the Christian life. I mean, even the way that we see the practice, the sacrament of communion played out symbolizes the importance of the body of Christ coming together in community. I could tell you a lot of stories about the way that this church has been family for people in this community. I could tell you a lot of stories about the way that this church has been family for me over the years. And I was, as I was thinking about all of them, one story that came to mind uh, was a very long time ago. Um, uh, Grace was three, three and a half. Emma was one-ish, maybe one and a half. And uh, we woke up one morning and Grace was in terrible pain. She had a fever. She, every time she tried to stand up and walk, she just collapsed. She was moaning and crying and she just, terrible, terrible pain. And I called the nurse and the nurse said, you know, it sounds like it could be appendicitis. I want you to rush her to Texas Children's. And I was like, okay, well, I, I, John had already gone to school, but I had Emma there, and she was in her pajamas, and I hadn't fed her real breakfast, and I didn't have her lunch, and, but I was like, okay, let me, let me get going. So I called Beth, 
And I said, hey, this is the situation. Can I drop Emma off early here at the WLC? And Beth was like, of course. And so I pull up and I basically throw Emma out at Beth <laughs> in her pajamas with no backpack or lunch. And I race to Texas Children's with Grace. But the part of the story that really gets me and helps me know that this community is family to me is that Emma's teacher, who was also a church member, um, texted me a little bit later in the day a picture of the lunch that her husband had brought up for Emma. And it was just the sweetest little lunch with a perfect sandwich with the crust cut off and cut into little squares and fresh fruit and vegetables. And for a mom who normally threw a Lunchable in her bag, <laughs> it just brought tears to my eyes to know how cared for and loved my children were in this community of people. She's never going to remember it. She was one. But I will never forget that act of kindness. And it's little things like that that I see played out among all of you all the time that help us to know that church family is a foundation upon which we can build our faith and our life. And sometimes it's really hard because church is made of people and people are imperfect. And people act in ways that upset us or things happen, miscommunications or misunderstandings or we just have a different opinion about stuff and, and that can make it hard. And it can also be hard to kind of break into because relationships take time and they take a lot of effort to sustain. And so it's difficult in that way. And I think it can be a little scary because in order to really let people be part of family for you, you have to be kind of vulnerable. You have to sort of let them inside your mess a little bit so they know when you need to be supported or encouraged or held accountable. But despite all the challenges of that, the impact that being part of a church family can make is immense and life-changing. Let the church be your family. As part of the church, be family for someone else. It is a very important way for us to create a foundation for our lives and to keep God as our focus. Christmas is that time of year when often people are reminded of the church's importance and impact in their lives and in the community. Uh, so what really is that foundation? Joshua makes this declaration, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, so we have family. He invites the community to join him, so we have church as a foundation. But for Joshua and for us, the ultimate foundation is faith in God. Serving other gods or leaning on worldly concepts, it's shifting. It puts our peace and our joy at the whim of the circumstances of our lives. But trusting God no matter what, in every circumstance, that's what faith is. 
And that's what Mary and Joseph did. They didn't understand it. They weren't really clear about how this was going to go or what God was asking them to do. It created challenges for them. But they trusted God and they followed God's lead. And I can't help but think of the words of Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone, therefore, who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it didn't fall. It was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. There are many things that we could choose to build our life upon. But all of those things are shifting sand. And when they're lost, what's left? We prayed this morning for the people of Kentucky, many of whom lost their lives and others who just lost everything but their life. And as I was reading some of the stories about that community this morning, uh, one of them was from Mayfield First United Methodist Church in Mayfield, Kentucky. And the member of the church that they were interviewing talked about how the roof had been torn off the sanctuary and everything had been tossed around and the building had basically collapsed. And the only thing that was salvageable was the communion table. And for her, it was a symbol that they would rebuild, that everything would be okay, that their community stood strong, and that their faith in God created a foundation for them that could never be stripped away by the loss of any worldly possession. Let this Christmas season and the gift of our Savior be a reminder to us in this season and at all times to build our lives on the unshakable foundation of God. Let us pray. God, we know that you are our firm foundation. Thank you for being the solid rock that we can lean upon and depend upon. And thank you for the gifts of church and family by which you support us. Give us grace and trust to lean our weight on you. Give us wisdom and discipline to stay away from weak foundations. Help us to live our lives trusting in your faithfulness at Christmas time and always. Amen.